Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right? right baby? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is really good. Move, get out of there. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. Uh, I am your host, J.M. Prater, and I'm joined by host... Patrick Green, everybody. And we are also joined by fellow contributors... I'm back on again, Sean from England, hello. And Connor. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. My fucking mic button's frozen. What? <laughs> 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 Brilliant stuff. No worries, no worries. Uh, so, so many technical difficulties tonight. We are joined by Connor Murdoch, who's in charge of our Building Better Worlds, and we're also joined by Aaron Percival. I would just call you in charge of AVP Galaxy, avpgalaxy.com, uh, a friend of ours. Dot .net, sir. Oh, sorry, dot .net. Oh, I'm sorry, dot .net. <laughs> Is it, um, it was dot .edu for a while, and that was weird, so then it was dot .net. No, it's been dot .net for yeah, a long time. Dot .co. Okay. Oh, uh, never been .co.uk. <laughs> but today we're here to discuss the two-year anniversary of the release of Alien Covenant and how it's sitting with all of us. I, again, I was talking earlier, kind of off the record. Uh, I feel like we just recorded the year anniversary one. I do. I really feel like it was yesterday. Um, but here we are again, two years later. And is the film resonating? Is it how's fandom reacting to it? And I don't really know the answer to that question. I think Patrick and Aaron, you guys might know, and maybe you, Sean or Connor, might know as well but i don't really i haven't seen the film myself in a year at least um and the last time i tried to watch it i was like oh no but now that i think about the film uh it's funny because i was thinking about oh i need to watch it and i was trying to watch it earlier today i was thinking about it, i was like oh this sounds really good like it sounds like it's going to be really good this time but when i tried that last time it wasn't but i'm anxious to watch it again and to see what i think so thank you all for being on yeah, it's gonna be fun. Well, would have been more fun if I could have rewatched it first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, so 
a little bit of behind the scenes here. So on a previous roundtable, as as listeners will remember, uh, we accidentally called Dave Gogol, who we probably would have called anyway, but we just forgot to touch base with him about it. So he joined basically like from work. He like had just gotten home and was like, hey, guys, and he was on the episode. Similarly, right before this roundtable started, um, you know, we were talking, we were kind of had an open slot. And we were like, I wonder if Aaron Percival's ready to go. Because we're recording at kind of an interesting time. And uh, we asked you to join. You said, no, sorry, I don't think I can. And then I basically forced you to join. And uh, and you did. So thank you very much for coming, I got to say. It's all right, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I don't love talking alien anyway. So even, See, even if it's Alien saying. Covenant. Yeah. Though, well, to be fair, I do actually like Covenant. Let's so throw this so question out to you then, Aaron. Uh, what do you think? Like how... Yeah, you haven't seen the film in a while, but what do you feel like is uh, the group thought on where Covenant is in fandom right now? Has it aged well? Is it aging better? Is it becoming a cult classic? What do you think? Obviously, it's two years. It's not a, enough to maybe get a, an accurate reading, but, you know, it's it's still some time. I think it's pretty split down the model still. Um, I mean, all the... You know, it's hard to really get a true opinion of anything, um, you know, on the internet with all your aggregators and stuff. But every time it always seemed to come straight down the middle towards people that were in the negative or people that were just in the positive. But like with anything on online and in fandoms, you know, I think you get skewed sort of impression because negatives are always louder. And people like, I'm, I'm going to pick on Patrick here. Um, because he's the only person that will ever go to bat for this film, really. And Clara, <laughs> I guess. Um, Clara, yeah. But come on, how how much of a ball ache is that? On you know how much effort goes into defending something like that? And that's why I think perhaps you know people tend to think Covenant was hated more than it actually was. So I I, I think it's still pretty split down the middle. I must be honest. Is it a split though? That's like people love it or people don't, or, because I, I think that there's a litmus test and, you know, you guys can chime in if you disagree or whatever, but, and I've mentioned this before, but the litmus test for me has been, for instance, I'll just use uh, Blade Runner 2049 as a, as an allegory, but I know that film is successful, not just because I love it or my friends love it, or I see a lot of people in groups loving it, but because there are posts from people in groups looking for props, looking for replicas, trying to make things, looking for all sorts of things that you had seen on a table or glasses or all sorts of things. And it's ongoing. I mean, it's always people looking for uh, kind of pieces of the film to kind of bring home and have on their desks or on their tables or whatever. Um, and to me, that's the sign of a film that's resonating with people. I don't see that with Covenant. I don't see any of that, like, oh, this gun or this hat or... And the, I mean, the people I've seen that from might be Clara. Um, I, I don't, I haven't seen that from you, Patrick. Um, and I'm just, I'm not even saying that because I'm not seeing it doesn't mean it's not happening. But generally, you can get a sense of what how a film is resonating by people's kind of uh, urgency or their need or desire to connect with it in some way. I see none of that for Covenant. I, I think it's harder to pull off for Covenant, though in terms of it's just not as much merc. And when, you, when you're talking about props, when you're talking about um, guns and stuff like that, you know, that, that is a very sort of um, niche sort of market, even in fandoms. I mean, when it comes to alien community as, and fandom as a whole, you know, the only gun that people are going to rush to get are pulse rifles or maybe smart guns. And then even when it just comes to, you know, your standard collectibles for Covenant, really you've only got... <sighs> 
Necker, yeah, Necker's uh, Necker's couple of things, maybe a couple of the pop vinyl type things. Um, they didn't produce as much stuff to run out and get, really. So, but but are you talking more about firsthand like props, like screen used, like set dressing, things like that? I'm talking about everything. Now, I do know that Necker released Covenant figures, and I know that there was some talk. Um, but there's always talk when like they released Resurrection figures, and people were talking about that. I'm just saying a general um conversation or discussion or um post of people trying to get props or whatever prop replicas or something from the film that uh that resonates uh to keep in their daily lives i just don't see any of that happening now i'm not saying that because i don't see that happening the film isn't doing well or it's not changing people's mind but i will say i think of alien 3 and when I see people who were like, oh, you know, I didn't really like Alien 3 when it came out. For a long time, I didn't like it. And now I love it. And I think it's awesome. And I'm not seeing any of those things happening. Again, two years might be too early to kind of expect that to happen. But uh, it's just something I'm looking for. I think it's I think it's a little bit different in in the UK. Uh, in the, I mean, I, I'm on quite a lot of... Uh, modeling groups and uh, quite a lot of like prop groups, prop replica groups, and you you'd be surprised, especially on the the modeling circles, you'd be very surprised just how many people uh, are building covenants, uh, whether it's from uh, kits or you know whether they're building it from scratch. And some you know some of these some of these models they're putting together are. Fantastic, and 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 it it does do the rounds on a lot of the, like I say, a lot of the modeling pages, uh, prop replicas as well, like the, uh, the the actual xenomorph itself. Uh, I've seen quite a lot. The Necker xenomorph and the Necker neomorph are uh, damn near impossible to bloody get a reasonable price over here. I mean, I'm I'm lucky enough to to have them, but. Uh, yeah, quite stuff rep- over is a nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, but it's there is a there is a demand for it. Is my point, and uh, like I say, you know, you, you see a lot of covenant ships uh, being built on these modeling pages, and you're seeing a lot of uh, xenomorph busts and xenomorph uh, sort of full uh, full costumes and 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 whatnot, and especially David's lab as well. There's, there's loads of stuff going around for for david's lab uh so uh, i mean yeah you know a lot of it is is through kind you know unofficial means but i'd say i'd I'd say there is a a a fair demand for it uh yeah it might not be as big as star wars stuff and marvel stuff but yeah i'd say it's got its own little like like i said you know it's own little niche but yeah it it does tend to to do all right over here and i mean i can see why i mean the the covenant ship does stick in my mind i think it's a a, a beautiful ship it's and and when you see it coming to life on the uh, the modeling pages and you're seeing these these people that are enthusiastic for it and you know they're not building sulacos or nostromos they they're, they're enthusiastic about the covenant and they're building the covenant and they they're brilliant so merchandise and you know like you were saying uh jamie about you know stuff sticking in your mind i think it i think it does all right over here the soundtrack is really popular as well uh in the uk 
quite strong sales of that and it's a it's a brilliant soundtrack so you know i think there are things that still stick in the mind a couple of years on people are still uh seeking out uh stuff to do with covenant whether it be a a prop or a figure of a soundtrack so yeah i think it's still carrying a little bit away over here as uh, polarizing as it is and I should I should preface my comment by a spoiler alert, which you guys know from our video. But I'm wearing a Covenant shirt. It's one of three Covenant shirts that I have, and there's a poster next to me. So I mean, I'm definitely getting stuff from Covenant. I think that the that the difference between something like Blade Runner 2049, which I think in most people's opinion, including mine, is an objectively better film than Covenant. Although I do love Covenant, as everybody listening to this knows, the difference between something like Blade Runner 2049 and Alien Covenant is that there are two films in the Blade Runner franchise. Both of them are masterpieces and they're separated by well over three decades. There are six alien movies with all, all sorts of stuff going on. That has been a fandom that has been consistently seeded for a very long time now with a lot of collectibles, with a lot of items. There's not this sort of desert of stuff. In Blade Runner fandom, of which I'm a very active part, as, as are you, um, you know, we haven't had that in a long time. So I think you're seeing a big uptick because people want to, um, you know, for example, with the with the, you know, wood carvings and things like that. Like that's something that people are having an emotional connection to this movie with because it's something that they've waited for for decades and they finally gotten and they feel connected to it. I think with Covenant, a it's not as great as if a film as 2049, and I think it is also one of many movies in this franchise. And I don't think it's uh, it's like a uh, a beacon. I think it's just something that people are gravitating towards uh, in a pretty natural way. In terms of the appreciation of its shifting over time, I actually feel like it has. And I think we'll, you know, in a little while when we get to the the thread on building better worlds, we'll we'll unpack some of that. Um, when it came out, I was pretty insistent that I felt like this was the beginnings of sort of a cult fandom. And uh, and and I I don't want to say that I've been proven right, but I I do feel like. What you've seen in the years since it's come out is um, an increase in sort of prequel appreciation groups, in um, prequel-centered art and comics, in covenant-centered fan fiction, at, like you know, as we've seen with something like Elethros. Um, we've seen a lot of things that are trying to build on that mythos, and the people that are working on that stuff are very, very focused on it and feel like because there was a lot of fandom um, strife for a while after it came out which I think has died down a lot, which is wonderful. I think a lot of people were looking for kind of a safe place and found safe places around the internet and produced art within those safe places. And I think, in my opinion, that there is the beginnings of a small cult fandom. I think, you know, Alien 3 has had decades to get that more broad um, reputation. I think Covenant will have a similar one. And I also think, though, I think it's not the case that Alien 3's initial reception and Covenant's initial initial reception were equivalent. I think Alien 3 had a longer time to get to where it is now, although most of us on the call are in love with that film. Um, I think it's a, it's a different beast altogether, and I think Covenant will get there. I think Covenant is a really good movie. I don't think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a flawed, brilliant film that has moments of true greatness and moments of borderline hilarity in it. And I think that they come together to make something genuinely strange and for some of us, genuinely powerful. That's that's how I feel about it. I think it's a lot deeper than... Uh, in fact, I, I think it's the, the deepest of... Uh, the Alien films, uh, I really do. Uh, I also happen to think that it's probably one of the most, ex besides Aliens, it's probably one of the most expanded upon 
uh, movies in the franchise as well, whether whether it's you know whether it's by the studios or whether it's by uh, fandom. Uh, Covenant is just it. It could be its own little sort of extended universe. There's there's, there's just so much there. I will say, me, me personally, I am changing my. I would say, for lack of better terms, my heart about Covenant. I feel like it is growing on me. Uh, there are things that I, I, I've been thinking about a lot about the film quite a bit. There's a specific scene that, uh, I don't know, just is, tends to be re- tends to replay in my mind quite a bit. That scene where David is singing that song and you hear it echoing in, in the, the corridors there. I don't know why, but that scene is really resonating with me. And David as a character, I've been thinking a lot about him. I don't know why. I just have. And it makes me want to get back into the film again. Um, and just the film as a whole. I mean, certainly there are still issues that I have. I will never be at peace with that chest bursting scene ever. Um, I think that that, you know, the, the little, the little guy there, it just, it's ridiculousness, but there are other parts of the film that I absolutely adore and other portions of it are growing on me. Um, so there's, there, there's that. I don't know how significant that is in the scheme of things, but for me, that's quite significant. I can, I can tell you, uh, I can tell you, Jamie, that when I first watched Covenant, uh, I actually hated it. I remember coming out of the, the cinema, uh, I went with my brother and a friend and I remember coming out talking to them both and just feeling just really short-changed and really bummed out about it and uh, we went for something to eat afterwards and we were talking about it and dissecting it and I just wasn't very enthusiastic for it and then I bought the DVD as I do uh, I support the, the franchise I'd, I'd, I'd I buy stuff, whether it's good, whether it's poor. Uh, I bought Covenant just to have it in the collection, watched it again, started to notice one or two things I, I maybe overlooked in the cinema, uh, kind of watched it with more patient eyes, really, and with each subsequent viewing, uh, subsequent viewing, I put my teeth back in, uh, I've come to appreciate it more and I think I'm now at a point where there's just been that much unpacked uh, around Covenant uh, in fandom and, and there's just so much been been kind of expanded on as well and I think I'm at a place where I actually really really enjoy Covenant I enjoy the story it's trying to tell and despite its shortcomings I can you know, I, I I can see what they tried to do, and yeah, I I, I think I'm, I'm I'm actually at a place now where I really really enjoy Covenant. Whereas, like I say, when I first went to watch it, when I first had that experience, I I, I hated it. Yeah, I'm, I was the same to be honest. The second I walked out of cinema, I was thinking, "What the fuck have they done?" I remember actually on the bus heading to the cinema before we watched the movie, I was sitting on the bus muttering, please don't fuck up, please don't fuck up, please don't fuck up. Um, I'm probably the person on this call that's the least the least likes Covenant. I mean, I can appreciate where it, it was going. I can totally understand why people love it, but it just doesn't, it's, it's never sat well with me. Uh, Yo, you fucking hate it, Connor. 
No, on, look, honestly. <laughs> you, you fucking hate it. I'm going to write that down. Yes, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 yeah, write it fucking down. Plaster on the walls. I don't give a shit. I love certain things about it. I love the whole idea around David, how basically something that we create that's closer to us than other androids inherits our own instinct to create weapons that basically destroy ourselves. I love that aspect of it. But it's just the direction that takes the lore that I cannot stand and I could not stand behind. And I think, honestly, if you want to see how Covenant rests with fandom nowadays, if they announced the third prequel movie, you'd find out. Yeah, you would. And I bet you'd still be um, half and half with people slagging it off and people begging for it. But you raise a, you raise an interesting point, actually, um, in terms of something that I always get laughed at for, actually, um, by Adam. Um, Zello, my co-host, when we're talking about Covenant. Because I love the film up until the alien gets involved. I love the alien film until the alien gets involved. And it's it's weird that <laughs> I don't I don't even know really I would have preferred that it have stayed completely with the Neomorph and played with that creature and you can still have all these themes that run through that run through the film because um i think it was sean said you know it is is a deep it's a deeper film than the others and it's what prometheus probably wanted to be in terms of thematics without being a pretentious blowhard about it but it actually managed to do something with its themes that i think carried throughout you know all, all the father issues that the um, creationist issues and it went somewhere with it do i like the direction it went in terms of the alien no not really i don't like the idea of david being the creator of the alien as much as i appreciate the themes behind it and i appreciate you know like him being in a way giga uh, so to speak david being giga but i would have preferred it if it was its own separate spin-off rather than tried to tie into the uh into the alien so poorly. Can I, ask I like to think... Oh, sorry, go on, Patrick. Well, just, I, I know that this is something that we've discussed and it's something that we've touched on, you know, online before, but I just because our listeners might not listen to AVP Galaxy's podcast, which they should, it's very good, or um, because, right. you know, they might not be as familiar with you, with your work or some of the things that we've talked about on Building Better Worlds, etc. What are some of the problems that you have with the alien material in it? Okay. I <laughs> It's just I I I loathe the idea of and uh, again a lot of this is going to it's going to be down to my expectations and my um you know my headcanon of the of, of the series going into it you know a big part of why I am so into the alien fandom, the alien expanded universe is because I specifically sought out stuff to do with the space jockey. Um, when I was getting into it, or, you know, I was reading, uh, um, apocalypse destroying angels. That was my big one. And I've always loved like the, the Lovecraftian nature of it. And this whole, uh, elder gods and ancient aliens, ancient weapons type thing. And I hate the idea that the alien is a, through a roundabout fashion, a man-made creation that exists 10 years before Alien takes place. I strongly dislike that. Why? Um, but, well, 
I think it takes away from it. And it's not know. it's not set in stone, though, is it? It's, no, it is. It, I mean, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it is kind of ambiguous. I mean, I, I, I'll just come in purely just for a couple of seconds and just say that you know what, maybe you know, I like the way I interpret it is maybe David didn't create the xenomorph. It, it is it's a precursor or it's a subspecies of a species already created and perfected by the engineers well that's that's the beauty of it there is wiggle room yeah and um alan dean faustino went down that route in the novelization you know he specifically yeah. called it out as a as a recreation um and alan dean foster's book is actually a much better experience than the film in my opinion because he fixes he fixes some of the issues like um the the sped up life cycle for example um he deliberately mentions that david fucked about with that um, which is again something I'm not massively keen on myself in the actual film, um, you know, and the whole uh, five seconds on the face and you've got yourself a baby alien. I hated that. I don't know. Well, it just if fucked you've, about if you've, too much. If you've read, if you've read Alex, uh, White, yeah, the, the Cold Forge and the the play. Yeah, game. yeah. I mean, Everyone's it, read it, 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 yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> stupid thing to say, really, but yeah. But you know you can kind of. <laughs> you're a heathen when it comes to the expanded yeah. universe. I am. I'm just. I, I want to listen to the book on tape. Uh, I'm just. I'm not a EU kind of person, but I've heard I'm going to send it to you, Jamie. I'm going to read it all myself in the most <laughs> annoying voice I can. <laughs> Once upon a time. <laughs> my po- my po- <laughs> and twelve different accents. My point yes. is, if you've if you've read that book, then it makes what happened in Covenant a little tiny bit more plausible with the you know the five second face yeah. hug and stuff yeah, it uh, does. It does. But, but, but again you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to make these great stretches to try and justify certain scenes it should be it should be it should be natural and a lot of the problem I guess with Covenant is that we have to do a lot of the explaining and and the explaining largely feels very very forced as opposed to it being natural you know they, and, and and it's almost like they you know they they're leaving too much for you know to be figured out and I, you know and i don't know whether they try to be clever or whether it's just a bit of laziness but yeah it we shouldn't be for any movie, you shouldn't have to go to the lengths that we have to go to with some of these films to justify what goes on on the screen, if if that makes sense. To a casual viewer, it looks like David created the Xenomorph or upon first yeah, impressions. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, that, that's, that's his that's intent good. at the minute anyway. You never know where Ridley could have changed his mind about five million times before the next film comes along. But yeah. like in in all the stuff that was coming out beforehand, you know, they were they were specifically talking about leading into the big chap in terms of David introducing the biomechanical uh, biomechanical elements down the line. That is very much Ridley Scott's intention. But yes, there's still wiggle room to fix it. I think Ridley's problem is that these movies have had very large gaps in terms of production and your whole story idea can change over the course of that time. Well, that's, that's number one. The biggest glaring issue is when you have alien or aliens 
well, I, you can't really say Alien 3, but Alien had an existing story with an existing writing writer. There was kind of a whole map. Ridley Scott came in and directed the script that was written. He didn't have any really, I mean, certainly had creative input. He had input in terms of them using Giger. We know all of these things, but the story in itself was already written. With these stories, he, they're coming up with them as they go along and you can feel it. But to Aaron's point, I would agree with you in terms of the uh, when the alien shows up, it just kind of goes downhill. Just because of what Ridley Scott said before these films came out, or I would say after Prometheus' release in terms of the beast being kind of out of steam or it's been used up. So you have this director who's already been on record to say, uh, the alien's played out, the alien's played out, and then... When it's shown, it, when it shows up in Covenant, it feels ham-fisted. It feels like it's obligatory. It doesn't have the seriousness or the 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 reverence of the original films. It's completely obvious. I would agree that See, I, I think uh, the the neomorph would have been a better creature just to stick with. Um, to be honest with uh, you, it, it was a reaction. Oh, sorry. Go on, Alan. Uh, sorry, it was it was a reactionary. Um, reaction <laughs> um, to some perceived uh, criticism of Prometheus. That's all that was. You know, when they were they were bringing it out, they just kept going on about how um, apparently everybody was complaining that there was no alien in Prometheus, and they've heard the call and they're going to sort it out. And you could totally feel that it was not what he was interested in. I mean, the last third of Covenant, you know, half of Alien squished into twenty minutes. And you can tell he's not interested in it. And then when the film comes out and it's not as successful, he uses it as a platform to say, yeah, I was right. You yeah. know, Alien is done. Yeah. What if well, it was I, I a, think... a ploy in the beginning, though? You know, what What if What if he said those, what if he said those things to make fandom, you know, to, to stir up a reaction, to whip up a storm, and then... You know, people are, are going into the movie with certain expectations and, you know, they get something different or something they, they didn't think they were going to get because of a comment made. Do you, do you see what I mean? Well, it's not that he just made one comment. He said this quite a bit. He said that, you know, he was interested in AI. The alien was done. I just don't think... Ridley Scott was interested in telling um, another story with an alien. I think, and a lot of people, or a lot of when these films were being made, certainly Prometheus, a lot of people, and I've said this before, oh, Ridley Scott doesn't like to repeat himself. He doesn't like to repeat himself. And I think that that's in large part true. Um, I think he's he's made an alien film. He's presented the beast. Um, we've seen that. He's seen that. He's done it. He wants to do something new. I think it's. Uh, it's hard to not to say that you can, you can do new things in alien films. You just have to have the right oh, God, people, yeah. people in place. And I think really uh, you need a really good story. You need someone who uh, has written a really good story and it's it's been vetted and it's original. And then you need Ridley Scott to shoot that story. Um, certainly he can give input and do his thing. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the disconnect. I think that that's almost um, irrefutable. There is a disconnect here. Um, well, let me just let me clarify something. Ridley Scott did not write this movie. This is something that I feel like gets a lot of conversations on Covenant get kind of steamrolled by it, people coming up with this this whole notion that he somehow invented the story. He had nothing to do with it early on. It was Jack Paglin, 
who had written Transcendence, um, started in 2013. Michael Green rewrote it. Dante Harper wrote a story based on that. John Logan came in and he uh, had worked on Scott with Scott previously. He did a new thing that was kind of an homage to Alien. So like the production cycles of a lot of the other films, it was an idea that was added to, that was transformed, that was transmogrified, that was brought to Scott, and then Scott shot it. So now that's not to say that Scott's relative irreverence for the creature that he helped popularize doesn't show through. I do think that the third act is the worst part of the movie, and I do think that a lot of it falls apart there. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily because Ridley Scott doesn't care about the creature anymore. Um, I think I think a that he does. I think I, I think he wouldn't be making. I think that he wouldn't be making these as alien films if he didn't ultimately care about the creature in some way. If that wasn't shaping this whole mythos that he's coming up with, it would have been fine for him to make a standalone science fiction feature, right? Like he's setting this in the world of Alien because to him the alien is a vector to a larger story, and he wants to tell that story. I think something that is also difficult that gets overlooked in conversations about Covenant is that it's a transitional movie. There's an inherent transitionality to it because it is not an endpoint, right? It is meant to bridge Prometheus to the films that we know and love and to be part of a cycle of films that, you know, will probably never happen now. But it was it was specifically supposed to bridge those tones. Now, what's difficult sometimes when you have a transitional movie is it can be a masterpiece, right? Like Empire Strikes Back, like Infinity War. It can be a movie that is super dark and super fascinating and super difficult and tonally all over the place, but it really works. For me, Covenant is all over the place and tonally difficult and very dark, and it works. I think for other people it doesn't because the the larger story that it's trying to bridge might not be resonating. What I think is also tough, though, Aaron, going back to what you were saying, which I think is absolutely valid. I'm not at all detracting from it. I think that some of the alien mythos in Covenant is deliberately anemic because it is not the end point. And I think that without having another film, it's hard to know whether or not that was the intent. But there's nothing in the script that says, you know, like the, this is the ultimate xenomorph that gets birthed. You know, this this is I think that it is specifically David trying to emulate what the engineers did and coming out with something that was not as um adept. And I think that like, it's, it's easy though to sit here, like, you know, uh, Sean, you were saying something that I think is absolutely right too, which is that like, I shouldn't have to be defending it this much, right? The movie yeah. should speak on its own terms. I totally agree with you about that. And again, that's a reason why it is not a masterpiece on the level of 2049. I don't think that it is, but I do think that there are storytelling reasons because these are very smart people who put this movie together people with a tremendous amount of reverence for the source material of the first film and who put it together as an uh, as almost an homage piece to Alien and to, and to some of its horror predecessors. And then Ridley Scott, who directed the first film, is the one that directed it. So these, these are people who understand it on some level. They might understand it in a way that doesn't necessarily align with the ways that some of us understand it, but they get it, and they're making a specific story. It's not full of mistakes. I think it's full of intent that might not play well if you're not necessarily seeing it through their eyes. And it is in some way the job of a movie to kind of make you see through its eyes. For those of us who it's worked for, I think we absolutely love it. And I think that um, people who don't see it the way that they probably wanted to see it are just as valid because the movie might not speak on as universal a level as a film as, say, Aliens or Alien, you know, which work for everybody anywhere because they play with ideas that are universally viable. Covenant is a very odd, dark film that is staged like some sort of a Grand Guignol play 
it is a, 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 like a, a grand macabre tour of late romantic poetry set against the backdrop of space. It is something that is fucking weird, you know? And I think because of that, it is hard to talk about in objective terms. I think it's become a very subjective film. And I think that a lot of the arguments start from this place of saying that Ridley Scott is why that happened. But Ridley Scott really, as you guys know better than anybody, is doing a million things at once. He's all over the place. He's very busy. He comes in relatively late in a production cycle to shoot the film. And I think uh, the story itself was cooked for him before he could decide whether or not the beast was cooked as well. I, uh, oh, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. Well, uh, I, I was going to say just to just to pivot a bit. I was just basically when Ridley Scott was saying about the beast being cooked, uh, uh, I genuinely believe that was some sort of a, a ploy. That so, you know, when the alien did show up in, you know, people would be like, "Ooh, and ah, and oh yeah, it's there," and and. I don't know. I just think I just think the whole be- beasties cut thing was taken a bit too, too literally. Uh, well, he did say it again though after the release. He said it again in mm-hmm. December of 2017 in a Variety and, roundtable. Yeah, and that, what that was did, the one that we had that like whole angry roundtable about because I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? You just made a movie with an alien in it, and now you're saying what he that." Did was he set him? He kind of set himself up perfectly as well because with with what he said, you know, he could either come out afterwards and say. Yeah, it was all a ploy. You know, your jaws hit the floor when the alien came out. Great success. Or on the flip side of that, it was able to say, "Yeah, told you so." So I think, but, I think, I think he kind of gave himself, uh, kind of a cle- very cleverly, uh, a bit of a way out as well. It was all over the marketing, though. It was never going to be a surprise. I don't think I. No, I, I, I can't, I can't see where you, where you're going with that one. I don't, I don't think because uh, for me, uh, I was expecting more of a, I was expecting more of kind of a, a cameo. You know, like at the end of Prometheus, we got like a little taster with the, with, with the Deacon, S- something like that. I, I, I was going into the film expecting something like that. I know, I know we're seeing in, in trailers and in, in marketing footage, but I. I believed that that was pretty much all we were going to see in the film and you know we got a lot more i, I, I don't know I've, i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm not saying it's right and i'm not saying it's it's fact i'm just saying I, if if that's what it were if that's if that was his way of thinking i can i can get on board with it i can i can kind of understand but the first creature you see is the essentially the earlier version of the big chap it wasn't the neomorph that was the, on the first preview you see it right at the end glaring its teeth it's an alien film i mean yeah they, they hid the neomorph through most of the yeah, early marketing so it wasn't even going to be about i mean and again it we it went we went from prometheus to people not knowing is this an alien film or not to oh alien covenant it is an alien film you know the first oh, yeah. title I, of it was alien it was sold as an alien film but i'm just under- purely talking about the alien at the end uh, I, I i i just i, I thought we were going to get merely a cameo pretty pretty much not much more than what you've seen in in the trailers but you know we ended up getting so much more more than that so that's that that, that just feeds into my way of thinking that maybe he said what he said because 
maybe we try to downplay it when really, you know, it, it pretty much made up the final last 20 minutes of the movie. Well, I think it's spin in one way. I think Ridley Scott was trying to kind of spin his way out of this. Like, see, it didn't work. Like, let's move yeah. towards uh, artificial yeah, I, intelligence. I, I agree. Um, but to, to an earlier point that you made, Patrick, um, Ridley Scott was a part of script and story uh, discussions for both of these films from the beginning. They brought they brought in people. They listened to his ideas. They went back. They wrote a script. They came back. It was the way it happened with, um, oh my God, what's his name? John, the guy John who Spates. wrote John Spates for the original, and then he wrote the original script, and then they brought in um, Lindelof. Lindelof. Um, and even Lindelof went on record saying he kind of like tried to shield himself from criticism, saying, you know, I just. You know, I listened to what Ridley Scott said, and I just, you know, I, I wrote a script based off of his ideas. Ridley Scott has been involved with story ideas and script um, iterations since the beginning with these films. These are his stories. Now, have the writers brought things to it? For sure. But it wasn't Fox saying, hey, we have another alien film for you to make. They brought him in in the beginning saying, well, what kind of film would you want to make? I was always right, interested but, but in, what? The, in the engineers. Well, let's make a story about this. You know, let's that, bring in a writer. Still let's the write case. that story. Yeah, it's still the case. Because when they were talking in the aftermath of Covenant's reception, you know, it was um, the CEO at the time, I can't, can't remember who it was, saying, you know, she trusted Ridley Scott specifically and the... Um, Stacey Snyder. Sec second in command. Was it Emma Watts was second? It, she trusted those pair to find the direction. You know, he is shepherding these prequels. He is not a writer which is part of the problem because he's now at a point where this isn't Ridley Scott doing alien. This isn't Ridley Scott doing his second feature. This is Ridley Scott fucking giant to the industry that people aren't going to say no to unless they're the ones paying for it. That's very true. But I, I guess what I'm saying, the ideas are obviously Scott's, the greater mythology is Scott's, right? But there are many people that are writing this based on his ideas that it's not like he's giving them this. He's not, he's not doing Ridley Graham's in sending them to them and saying, hey, make a story based on you know this 300 page notebook. I think to say something like Scott is telling them to deliberately make the third act anemic to destabilize the alien and fandom so that way he can make way for more AI focused things. <laughs> I'm saying that this idea that he's like piloting this this sort of um, conspiracy not, ship, I, I yeah, just think I just think it's not true. Suggesting a conspiracy in yeah, the slightest. Me neither. I just think Ridley Scott has some a lot of great ideas. He has a lot of or interesting ideas and people take those ideas and they put them into a story. And a lot of it is incoherent, which is why those films feel incoherent at times. It's not like this well-planned out story that's been kind of gestating, excuse the pun, inside of a, a, a writer for years who've finally gotten their manuscript at Fox or someone. And then like, it just burst out of their chest. Yeah, Or someone like James Cameron who had already had a script written that he adapted for aliens um, that there was, there was uh, architecture. There was, there was so much already in place. Whereas Rid with Ridley Scott, it was like, well, let's put a movie together. Let's so let's get this writer. Let's get that writer. That's how these films were made. It wasn't. And I believe to your point, Patrick, that yes, that these writers brought in um, their some of their own ideas. Certainly, uh, I think a lot of it was collaborative. But I think in terms of the films being what they are, these are Ridley Scott movies. There's no way around it. And I don't think. But to be it's fair, not, it's not. In, and I don't think that the third act might fall apart because that's what Ridley Scott wanted. No, the third act fell apart because it wasn't a strong story. It wasn't really well thought out. It was, uh, you know, a story that was written 
a few different times in the, over the course of six months, as opposed to a story that, you know, someone was keeping for a couple of years until it got into the right hands. I think they're struggling with telling this sort of evolution story, because if you go back to Spates's um, Alien Engineers, Alien Zero One Genesis, you know, the various titles it had throughout development, the scripts that are online of that, I don't want to say they have the exact same problems, but they also fall apart when it comes to the inclusion of the the proto alien, no, the proper aliens um, when they're brought in because they're not they're not handled as well. And there's there's this difficulty in doing it because Covenant to me is engineers 2.0 basically. They're going back and telling that story with Neomorphs instead of the squid aliens, and. It's not exactly the same problem, but they both fall apart for me when the aliens introduced. Maybe there's difficulties in telling these two sort of linking evolution stories. That's been my problem with the movie, to be honest, was um, the scenes where the neomorphous feature of the grass attack scene was fucking terrifying. I remember, sitting, I remember sitting in the cinema and there's a certain shot where the neomorph swipes its tail and takes this guy's lower jaw off. And I was like, holy fuck this is awesome and i'm sitting and i knew the alien was coming as everyone did that's another small point as well is i don't think they should have featured the original alien at all in the trailers i really don't they blew their load so heavily in the marketing but by the time you get to the proper alien it just feels like it's an afterthought there's from experience exactly when yeah when you're writing a scene with a, with an alien in it and your characters you need to create a situation where your characters barely escape by the skin of their teeth. They'll lose people. And that was my main problem with the third act, is it just felt like, oh, look, there's an alien. Oh, we've dealt with it very easily. There's no sense of sacrifice. There's no sense of struggle or loss. So you, the creature doesn't have any ferocity to the viewer. And don't get me wrong, it looks fucking wonderful. And I'm, I, I will never blame Scott for this shit, to be honest. I was... He was the part I was most excited about with this movie coming because I thought he's getting his hands on a xenomorph with today's computer graphics technology. What could he do with this creature that he couldn't do in 1979? And every scene, apart from the money shot where it's on the lander, it looked wonderful, and the zero-G shot, but the, the shower scene was the one I was really waiting on because everyone was slagging off when they first saw it in the trailer, and I thought... Scott could really play this differently. He could make a seriously fucked up version of what we thought would happen to Lambert and really shock the audience. But he just played it safe with this typical Xeno head bite and it just felt boring. It yeah, was one of the few been... shots that were practical that way in it as well, was it? I'm sure I've seen some behind-the-scenes yeah. photos of that. It did when it came through the glass, but when... but the the. I just remember seeing a set photo of the the alien head and then the uh, the hydraulics, you know, for the for the jaw, and it, it was had. for the it was for the shower scene. But yeah, when it comes through the glass, it looks totally CGI. But I thought the bit just leading up to that were were done practically. I might be wrong, but like I say, I'd definitely seen a set photo of it. I it love was... the face hugger. Sorry, but Aaron, I'll just quick say I love the face hugger when it um, attacks the guy with the gun and latches on his gun and crawls up his arm. I thought that was really a nice wall effect. Yeah. Uh, to um, to Connor's um, point, there were practical aliens for pretty much everything. You know, all the stuff that was created was done in camera for a lot of it, but purely for a 
reference point of view. So there is that, you know, there is that head for that shower scene that we have all seen the behind the scenes of, but in terms of the actual finished film, it, it was replaced with CG. Bloody yeah. hell. Yeah. Mm. But I, I but I do agree with Sean there. You know, that could have been a really interesting sort of um, rapey, um, sexual thing that just goes a little bit slashery. Personally, I would have just preferred to have seen, and I'd be interested in your guys' thoughts on this as well, you know, just a film that was purely the Neomorphs, just purely the exploration of this proper proto-alien, not some fucking proto-morph. Um, yeah. I agree. I totally agree. Uh, although I... Uh, although I, I I did find enjoyment in the last act, and you know, and and I'll dis- I'll touch on this uh, later on in the discussion. But uh, as much as I did kind of enjoy it, and you're totally right, it 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 could have, and it probably should have, just been about yeah, it's kind of you know the the evolution of the the precursor, which you know is a neomorph, and I think that would have made for a more interesting angle i totally agree and i think that that would have actually helped emphasize the transitionality that i keep talking about because i also do think and and we've seen this in official verbiage from fox that the the protomorph is not supposed to be the endpoint. that it's it's a it's like a you know some sort of a either a bridge or it's a it's a mistake that david created that's kind of its own thing right but i think that the neomorph is very clearly not the final product and i think that the neomorph has enough different physiologically and anatomically and i think it would have been interesting to trace that more i totally agree with you and i also totally agree that the third act and specifically the xenomorphic parts of the third act are the weakest parts of the film they don't ruin it for me because here's the thing I am so invested with the film by the point the alien gets introduced that the decisions that are made work for me insofar as I'm able to enjoy the rest of the movie as just a fun ride and not look at it as something that is destroying some sort of a poetic statement. Because to me, the statement's already made. To me, the movie, I mean, you know, we're we're talking a lot about the end of the movie because I think that's the most problematic part. But I think the scenes with David and Walter are are genuinely profound. I think that some of the writing in there is just absolutely amazing. I think that the Shelley stuff is incredible. I think that this idea of what makes us human is is great. And I think that, you know, I, I know, Jamie, you've, you've said in the past you don't think it belongs in an alien film. I think it does. I think it's it's part of enriching a thematic universe to play with. And I think movies shouldn't be dictated by what we necessarily think is right and wrong for them. You know, I think if it works in the context of a film, which maybe for you guys it doesn't, for, for me it does, I say introduce it and let me think about it, you know? I like that it helps us, it, it, it becomes a key to a larger narrative, and this is from John Spates, of course, of, uh, you know, that that the, the evolution of the alien, which is all about evolution, right, is tied into the evolution of our journey as a species, right? That we are inextricably, inextricably linked with this monster. And, um, and I think that we see... You know, we talk a lot about how Wayland yutani is really the monster and all these other things too. But in, in a lot of ways, what if it's not even Wayland yutani What if it's just us? What if it's just us, you know? What if we're the monster in the haunted house? I mean, David, of course, remember, is monstrous because he's emulating us, because he's inspired by humans and our ability to create. To him, 
that is what is exciting and that is what a meaningful existence is and of course in the in the pursuit of that he believes that he can transcend humans by being some sort of a perfect sociopathic creator organism and goes off the rails as this i think great genuinely great character but i think that in a lot of ways like you look at what he was trying to do he wasn't trying to be the company he was trying to be us and he was trying to be his father and i think that that says a lot about uh, the evils that we don't necessarily know we are perpetrating. And I think it's a key to a, a deeper, more frightening storytelling angle that to me feels fresh and relevant and new and also causes me to question what makes me uh, a human and if that is necessarily what I have thought it was for my whole life. That's well, the part I love most about the movie. Sorry, Jimmy. No, go ahead. Um, I just if you remember from this, there's a scene from Terminator 2 where the Terminator is watching these two kids play with these toy guns and John Connor asks we're not going to make it are we people I mean and the Terminator just responds coldly it's in your nature to, to destroy yourselves and that perfectly sums up for me well I think a lot of what you said Patrick I agree with uh, I think that you can call these kind of wonderful, beautiful thematic things from David. I think part of my reason that I don't, well, number one, the scene with the interaction between David and Walter is really well done. It's really great. It just doesn't feel thematically a part of the rest of the film. It stops being the film that it w was, and then it starts being something else, and then it stops being that thing, and then it goes on to something else. But the lead up to that is, oh, look, there's another model of David. Let's not question him. Let's not even mention that verbally at least not in the cut that we've seen um and so and then he starts cutting his hair and doing all of these things which are very obvious to the audience but these dumb crew members don't even seem to blink twice about it like oh he's cut his hair i wonder why he's cut his hair like so there's a lot of things for me that um i they logically have to work if i'm going to have if i'm going to move from one um beat to another and I'm not going to be able to do that if it's not logically set up. Not to say that those things that you're talking about aren't valid. I think that they are, but I don't think that they're valid or I don't think that a lot of people pick up on those things because by this point in the film, you've lost most people. So I, it's a bit of a stretch to me. There does seem to be like two state, three stages of, of covenant in terms of like where people's interests are maintained. You know, you, you drop out when David shows up. Um, I drop out when the alien shows up. And it, I actually find that that sort of divide quite interesting because the stuff that you were specifically picking out there, you know, the um, let's just trust David, is is a weird one because I totally get where you're coming from. But in terms of the film itself... The characters don't have a reason to distrust him. Is is another Walter model? They they've got Walter's their buddy. You know, this guy's just showed up and saved him. They take him exactly. back. Exactly. They well, don't I mean, have at the end of the to... day. Oh, sorry. Go on, Evan. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say they don't have reason to distrust him at that point. Well, yeah. I mean, j just to come in there perfectly. I mean, at, at the end of the day, they're just space colonists. They're not. They're not space explorers. They're not space chuckers. They're not colonial marines and you know i i think they show a lot of naivety because they're space colonists they act and behave accordingly within that role i mean in 
uh, in Covenant, it, you know, it does state it's the first kind of deep space colonization mission, uh, you know, of this scale. And that's at a time when Wayland, Wayland Yutani were just dipping the toes into, into deep space. So I think the crew's inexperience and the crew's subsequent mistakes uh, fit into the narrative, you know, the, the, and I, the, I, I think it fits into the narrative quite well. They're just space colonists. I don't agree with that. I have to be honest. If you're like one of the first crews to take, you have a duty of care of what is it, twenty thousand souls? You'd want the cutting edge of personnel leading yeah. that mission. And they're not just colonists; I'm, they have to be scientists. They have to be biologists. I'm not saying I'm not saying they're stupid, and I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying they, you know, they they really poor. Uh, and 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 I do get that. You know, they, you know, a, a lot of them are scientists and they're specialists in in certain fields. But what I'm saying is, in terms of that, in terms of that experience, you'd have, you know, the the, the crew of the Nostromo, the marines and aliens you know they, they they don't have deep space experiences is my point and i think they and i think you know a, a lot of the a lot of the naivety and a lot of the mistakes they make could be attributed to that um we should pause for a moment because we have somebody who has just joined and uh she very much deserves to be introduced but before we do I just want to echo Aaron's point and say that the reason why, to me, Dave, their initial uh, interactions with David make sense is because, as far as they're concerned, protocol will not allow an android to be behaving the way that he's actually behaving. And so everything that he's doing in terms of cutting his hair, in terms of you know earning their trust, I mean, for one thing, he saved their lives, right, by calling the neomorphs away. And then for another thing, you know, he's he's a Walter model, as far as they know. They don't know that he was this, you know, this flawed uh, prototype they have no clue what his reality is and so you know it, it's like when you see a doctor you don't assume a doctor is going to kill you right some doctors do but it i mean in this case it's even if you had built that doctor to not be able to kill you and then it ended up killing you that that you know that would be a different thing but, that being said but david oh, yeah. gets but david you can say that for david for the first few minutes until after he the whole whatever that nameless woman whose head is chopped off in the like that non non-essential character is killed in in front of um in front of him and david's all protective like david you can give david an out for like 10 minutes and then he doesn't have an out and then the character well rosenthal's him. death comes way after that i mean like there's a there's a pretty big gap of time where they they are looking at david as just yeah, but at that point they can just, still not trust shit. him they can still they can still be like okay that has happened. This this thing, whatever this thing has happened to this thing, is not is not trustworthy. Let's get the fuck out of here. No, let's go downstairs. I mean, it just it becomes ridiculous. Well, they, they go downstairs later. But th that being said, all right, let's 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 pause for one second. Uh, Clara, also known as Mother, is here from lovely Australia, where it is dawn. And uh, <laughs> welcome. Good morning. Sorry, I'm just nursing a headache. <laughs> I shouldn't have drunk all that vodka last night. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> You're on top be... form for backup for Patrick. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. I just I just tried to invoke the spirit of Vickers last night, and I was constantly vodka up, vodka up, and it just kept going. To <laughs> invoke <laughs> the spirit of Vickers. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So now I'm joining you for your Covenant Roundtable. How's it going? What did I miss? I, I heard a lot of um, dissent for the film. 
Well, we, we've, you know, we, I, I think most of us agree that the third act is where things fall apart a little bit and that the treatment of the actual alien at the end is not, it leaves something to be desired. But, but we, we haven't, what we started off with is uh, how Covenant sits with you now, you know, two years after its release, if you see uh, anything changing within fandom, if you feel things changing within your own appreciation for it, what your kind of journey has been with it. Everybody knows you love Covenant and you're a, an eloquent speaker on it. But, uh, you know, where does it sit with you two years later and where does it sit with some of uh, fandom in your opinion? Okay. Um, where it sits for me is that I feel like it's a film that keeps on giving because I've, I've had to rewatch all the films again recently um, when I was analyzing uh, some, some threads, you know, <laughs> trying to follow up other people's theories. And uh, the only film that bears rewatching for me and I constantly get stuff out of is Covenant. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of my appreciation lies because it's a film that it, it warrants more than one watch. And, and when you do it, I find it more rewarding each time. Um, and, you know, that's like finding um, different things it parallels with intertextually and finding um, little nuances with each of the characters that really got given direction for or all or, or the actors have taken it on, on you know, taken on the role and, and giving the characters a little bit more life in a certain way and, and noticing just these little things. Um, watching a lot of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff and also the, the scenes that were cut, which add more to the character. Um, Aram and his worry beads, uh, the uh, cabin on the lake, and, and like all sorts of reminders of uh, Branson and, and like the sort of relationship that Daniels had and how dependent she was on him. I think a lot of it plays into her journey as a character in the film, and I can I kind of understand it more. There was a lot of disconnect for her being in the film and, and being a, what people say a, a proto Ripley, which they disliked, but um, after following a lot of the fandom that have like a, a strong connection with Daniels, I can see and appreciate now a lot of the stuff that I never saw before because I don't usually find that sort of connection with the human characters. So uh, her journey from being a follower, going into space, not really having a direction, even seeking comfort from a, a robot, which she's completely projecting her feelings onto, so coming into her own and becoming a leader at the end is, is the most natural growth in the movie. Um, and then uh, her final uh, fight with David being overpowered is, is exactly like the moment when Ripley uh, comes face to face with um, Special Order 937 and Ash, and Ash knowing that she knows, and then he flips out and throws her. It's exactly the same, like the, the you know, the fight between the android and the human, uh, the, the fight for freedom and survival uh, is something that I'm really drawn to and I really enjoy, like even though I'm totally for the androids all the time. I really enjoy that, that battle between um, the humans and the AI. And, and they're, they're, it's kind of like it's an ongoing battle that's there even before the alien. And I think that's why I like um, Alien Covenant as well because even though you don't see um, – that uh, Daniels and uh, David interact until the middle of the film. There's this sort of like 
uh, like uh, disagreements and arguments with Walter that you see on the ship, even though he's totally like a bishop-type model. He's totally there to help everyone. Um, Oram doesn't see it that way. So you've got this uh, disagreement with him and, like, obviously Oram warms up to Walter because he, he knows that he can talk down to Walter and Walter won't fight back. But then he meets David and David looks exactly the same as Walter. And then he immediately has this assumption that this relationship that he has with Walter is going to be exactly the same that he has with David, that he would, you know, be able to talk down to him, talk back to him. And then he would just do what he says and, and just follow orders. And that's like the, the most dangerous assumption that you can make. And that's kind of like what Ridley Scott's trying to say about AI in general as well. Like you can't make the assumption that the AI that you interact with now is going to be the same in future. Or, or like someone else's created AI won't have this, uh, will have the same intentions that an AI that's built off the factory floor. So you just never know. So you have to be constantly careful about what you say and what you do and how you treat them because immediately if you treat something like a slave and then they have the ability to act on that and rebel, you're fucked. <laughs> but anyway, I'm <laughs> going off on a tangent. Um, for, um, for fandom, I find there's more appreciators there's people who've had the time to um watch the film again and and spend the time with the characters and kind of like let the the direction of the films uh kind of sit in their mind and 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 give give it a chance to kind of see uh what really Scott's intentions were what the writer's intentions were and how they tried to tie uh, Prometheus to Covenant because everyone knows that Prometheus started out as a film that was supposed to be parallel to the Alien films and then they had to somehow um, tie it into the Alien series without it being too inorganic and I feel like they have achieved that because they, they've kind of struck a beautiful balance between uh, the sort of uh, art and stories that they, they were trying to convey in Prometheus even more so in Covenant and they also uh, – made the alien uh, a bit more frightening and also engaging. So even though people feel like the alien feels artificial in the last act, I spoke to a lot of people who are fans of the franchise or casual fans, and they were so excited to see the alien appear in the last part of the movie. They're like, that alien should have been the whole movie, you know? And I was like, no, you can't just do that. These are supposed to be prequels. To the alien film and and some of them literally don't care they just want to see the alien more and and to have it at the end of Coven was the icing on the cake for them that scene where Daniels fights with it on the lifter the scene where Daniels is fighting with it on the terraforming bay the cat and mouse game um, in the, the ship where they're, they're shutting off the different uh, pathways it's just like you know shutting off the vents um, with Dallas in the vents. It's just all of that sort of stuff they loved and they really gripped to it. And, and because of them showing their passion for it has made me finally appreciate um, the, the final act of the film. And I feel like it worked, um, even though uh, I myself have familiarised myself with a lot of different fan edits where, like, they kind of, like, try to cut certain things out and 
mix things around. You know, I can appreciate people's ideas on how editing should be done because they aspire to become editors. But at the same time, I like the way the film has ended up. Uh, my only problem with it is that I wish Advent was the part of the role end credits and um, the crossing uh, should be part of the prologue. Um, but other than that, I still love the film um, and I watch it a lot. <laughs> I blog about it a lot. Um, and, and, and because of it, I, I also retroactively get a lot more out of Prometheus as well because I – I kind of liked Prometheus as an action film, funnily enough. So the way people watch Aliens is the way I kind of watch Prometheus. Uh, I kind of accepted it for what it was. But then when I watched Covenant, I realized there were all of these other symbolisms and hidden messages uh, that kind of like flew past me the first time. And then all of a sudden it kind of opened up the whole alien universe for me to finally analyze and intertextualize and, yeah, I've got a new level of appreciation for it. So I've gone from like uh, a fan that like loved all the movies and um, kind of like, yeah, cool, go Ripley, <laughs> go, go Ash. Um, but now I'm more like, holy shit, all of these characters, everyone plays a part, everyone is part of this puzzle. And without um, all of the different characters, it, it's not really, uh, not really the universe uh, that I love today. Anyway, that's all I have to say about it. I think something that, that you're alluding to and something that I'm hearing in this conversation is that there are these these big tonal shifts that happen. And I know, Jamie, for example, you know, like to you, the the first two thirds of the film feel like more of a cohesive thing than the last third. Um, I know for, for some people, uh, the last third feels totally out of place in anything. I think I think for me, part of why, why Covenant is a great film to rewatch is because there are reasons behind those tonal shifts. It's not as lurching as it might feel the first time you watch it. Although that being said, I do think, you know, a film should make itself at least somewhat clear the first time you see it. So I, I can understand people having an issue with that. To me, like there are meant like Clara, there are many things that I didn't get the first time I saw it. I, I saw it nine times in theaters, and by the ninth, by the ninth time, I felt like I got it. I felt like I fucking love this movie. But I I the first time I saw it. I didn't really know how I felt about it. I left the theater with my friends. We had a very big group that went to it. I brought my gorilla alien action figure, um, you know, which is the first thing I fell in love with as a kid with alien. It was, it was a, it was an important moment in that regard. And I left it and I didn't really know what I felt. I knew that I enjoyed it, but I had a lot of complaints about it that I wasn't voicing partly because everybody else that I went with seemed to just love it. And I didn't want to, you know, ruin it for them as like the token alien obsessive in the group. I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of wait. But I liked it enough to go back again. And the second time I watched it for thematic things that I feel I felt like I had missed the first time. And I started realizing that I had to kind of shift my uh, expectations to align with what the film was trying to express rather than the film trying to dictate my uh, experience or rather than my past experience with films trying to dictate how I watched it. Well, but so I think, I think that. I yeah. think that not to interrupt you, but I'm interrupting you. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's an, and I'm not saying that you guys are saying this intentionally, but I think that there is an inherent flaw to say that the people who don't experience covenant or, or enjoy it the way you do, aren't getting it or they're not watching it. Right. I think that that's not fair to the audience. You guys liked it. You guys enjoyed it. You kind of took, took what the film presented to you, 
to you and it worked and that's great. It didn't work. Well, I'm not saying, I'm not saying not watching it right. I'm saying not watching it the way that it wants. No, I'm not. I'm saying not, not watching it the way the film wants you to watch it. I, I, which I, I don't think. Well, that's not watching it right. Right. Well, well, here's the thing is I don't think that there's any kind of objective standard that's saying that I'm watching films better than you're watching films. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm not saying saying that that either. I'm just saying in, in context to covenant, like I don't, you present as myself, an artist and a writer, I present, I can present material to people that I love and they'll either get it or they won't. And if they don't get it, um, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with the way that they read it or they viewed it. It, it, yeah. it just might mean that there's a disconnect there. So I think we have to make this a subjective conversation, not like, Hey, yeah, I got covenant. I got it. Like I really understood what they're like. We are all very intelligent people here. And I, I think that but, uh, okay. for, for some people, the film I, works, but I, I also, I, let me, let me just finish. Um, I also think like for me, fundamentally, like, as I look at the broader picture, because again, everyone knows there are things about this film that I really love and I really hold dear. However, um, I, I, as I was looking at a, uh, or thinking about the larger picture for myself for this film, and I think about the films in the, the past, we've never really seen a film actually take a scientific look at these creatures. It's always running from point A to point B. They're after us. They're after us. They're after us. Um, characters, good characters, bad characters, whatever. There's never really been... Uh, anything more than kind of, oh, look, an alien, run, you know? And I think part of my disconnect with Covenant is not only are there uh, character or um, complete repeats in terms of the beats of Alien in Covenant, like blowing the thing out the airlock, someone dying and them injecting him out, like there are beat-for-beat repeats. Um, But on the... For me, my my perspective of it is you still have people kind of running away from aliens. I think you need more than that. We're, we're, we're at this point now where we need a different story, where we need a story that it's, you know, I think something that wasn't um, explored, which I think could be fascinating, is David's lab. I think it was an incredible set piece that was just completely just walked right through, but there was really interesting scientific evidence right there or scientific processes happening, but we didn't see it. But that was a a really intelligent thing that I think we could have explored, but we didn't explore it because what alien after us. Um, So that's for me, that's part of it too, is like, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. What is new? And some of the stuff that was new was great. The stuff between David, uh, David and Walter, I thought it was really great. It didn't feel like it belonged where it was, but I loved it. So I, I just kind of wanted to offer that. Well, okay. So I've already said this plenty of times, but when I walked out of Covenant the first time, I was absolutely furious. I was angry because I didn't see Shaw. I had the impression that she was going to be in the film. I couldn't understand why the two androids kissed each other or the flute scene. I couldn't even understand the chest burster. Um, and I, and I, was not a great fan that night. I was yelling at all of my friends going like, what the fuck is this movie? I've waited how long for this film and it's come out and it's a piece of blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it just, it, it got me. So I was resistant of it. Um, but it was an alien film and, and my, one of my friends, uh, wanted to go watch the Walter droids, uh, the fast droids kiss again. (laughs) So she dragged me along she paid for my ticket, and then I watched the film again, and I and I was a little less angry. And then, you know, she wanted to watch the film again for that scene, so I got dragged along again. 
So there was three times. Uh, I really I liked went, that scene. And three, <laughs> three times I, I still hated the film, but it started to grow on me because like, you know, you know, when you're, you're being tortured and you just have to focus on a point somewhere, <laughs> you got to focus Not on something. Otherwise, no. you just, <laughs> 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 well, you know, just sitting in a classroom being bored to shit, you know, instead of focusing on the clock, you've got to focus on something else in the room, whether it's counting the tiles on the roof or, or reading the scratches on the desks or something. And for me, it was, you know, concentrating on each one of the characters. And every single time I watched that film, I concentrated on a different character and I focused only on that character until they died and then I took another focus. And that's, for me, it took probably close to, to 20 watches of that film because I love to torture myself <laughs> to, to actually go, you know what, I think I completely had this film wrong. Um, I was watching it, uh, hate watching it initially because I was like, why was this film made? Who were the producers? You know, what sort of drugs were they slipping into Ridley Scott's drink? You know, why did he think this was a good idea? I was trying to like, I was doing the research, finding who were the show writers, um, you know, what were the things that they usually write? How could that affect the script? What the direction could have been? Um, how intertextually it fit with everything else that I know? And then it kind of like, it started to flick a switch when, um, when someone uh, came up with a, a, a short movie, which was like uh, The Art of Alien Covenant. And as an art student, it kind of opened my eyes and I was like, oh, why would they put that piece in there? And then I started researching the art and then the origins of it and then the origins of the script. And it all kind of fell into place. And and that's that's just the way I appreciate the film. And it's not saying that people aren't liking the film the way it's supposed to be liked. You either like the film or you don't. It's the same same thing as like you either watch Blade Runner and you appreciate the movie or it completely goes over your head and then you don't watch it ever again. There's only a certain amount of fans who will watch it and appreciate it in, in a different sort of light. And and the thing is like I, I'm in plenty of groups that love uh, Covenant or hate Covenant as a movie um, and then all of us fans like it for different reasons. You know, some of us – blog about it the same way I do. Some some conversations I have talk positively about Daniels as a character. Some other people uh, talk about Walter positively as a character. Other people are David worshippers and, and they all talk only about David in, and in the terms of how all the humans are disposable. We all connect to the film in a different way. We all like the film in a different way. So I think it's, it's, it's disingenuous to say that, you know, just because of the way we like a film um, means that we think that we're better than everyone else. You know, that's completely wrong. <laughs> that's that's not the way at all. Like, just because I love intertextual analysis of uh, alien films doesn't make anyone lesser of a fan or, or you know, watched it less times or whatever. It, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's, it's how people appreciate it the way they appreciate it. Like, I'm not going to get hell-bent on the way people eat their chocolate bars, um, whether they prefer, you know, a Mars or a Snickers or a Kit Kat or whatever. Um, you, you like what you like and you eat it the way you eat it, you know, whether you have it 
as a midnight snack just randomly at the shops or you secretly stash tons of it under your bed. It doesn't really matter. You're still a fan and you still like it. You still still eat it. You know. You try to tell us you've got all the chocolate bars hidden away somewhere in your house. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting no. angry from this analogy. <laughs> no, no. Uh, chocolate bars would not survive in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I just have but, a quick, but, uh, just to clarify something. Oh, Claire, go ahead, finish. Sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead. I'm, I'm pretty much done. <laughs> no, no. But, but just jumping off of what you're saying, and, and to sort of make sure that I'm not being misquoted here, I'm not. I'm not saying. Here's the thing. You look at a painting by Mark Rothko. Okay, most people when they see a painting by, and I'm not saying that Covenant is as great a work of art as as contemporary art of, of Rothko and, and other um, people of his movement. But you look at a painting by him. Most of the world, the first time they see it, see a gradient of color and think, why the fuck is that worth $2 million and hanging in an art gallery, right? And you know what? They are right to say that because they have every right because art is inherently subjective and it is important to form an opinion on it. But then if you challenge that opinion and you think, wait, why is it worth that much money? What have other people seen in it that I haven't seen in it? And is my skepticism of their appreciation for it perhaps hampering my ability to see it for myself? And then you form a relationship with it and then years go by, and suddenly when you look at a work by Rothko, you see a universe open up in front of you, right? That doesn't happen for everybody. But the thing is, I think with art that is not um, explicitly universal, and I think a lot of Hollywood films are explicitly universal. A lot of great Hollywood films are. They're meant to be enjoyed. I mean, Endgame, I think, is a fucking incredible movie. And I think that was a movie that was made to appeal to everybody who saw it the first time they saw it. And that does not take away from it. I don't think Covenant is that kind of a movie. I don't think that that makes it better or worse than a film like Endgame. It's just something that, to me, had to reveal itself over time. And I don't um, say that my appreciation of it makes me any better or any worse than anybody else. Or I just say that I think I am now seeing it more the way that the filmmakers intended it to be seen. And I think it took me time to get there. Um, and I and I think that's just a, a personal opinion. Yeah, no, I totally I, agree with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, regardless of the the medium, I think it is possible to you know give something a second a second chance. Uh, I think it's possible to see things in a in a different way. Uh, and I think Covenant's one of those one of those films that deserves a second chance and I think it deserves to be, you know, maybe viewed in a a different mindset. Uh because the, the there is there's there's just so much there's just so much there. Uh, it, it's kinda like I love Covenant, but it disappoints me at the same time. And the thing that disappoints me is that I've seen all the marketing materials, all the trailers. Uh, I've watched a fan edit, which is called the Chaos Edition. So Alien Covenant, the Chaos Edition. And having watched that particular fan edit, it made me love Covenant all the more, but it also disappointed me all the more because I'm sat there watching this, this edit uh, and I'm thinking, why wasn't this in cinemas? Why, or, or why wasn't most of this in the cinemas? 
you watch the fan edit version, you watch the case edition, and it just breathes a bit better. It's not perfect. I think if you hate Covenant and you watch the Chaos Edition, I, f- I think you'll probably still hate it. But I think if you're on the fence, I, I, I think you'll get a, a whole new appreciation. I mean, my, my, one of my main issues with the theatrical uh, version of, of Covenant was the it, it just flew by at such a breakneck speed. You never got the time to to take anything in. Uh, you never got the time to, I mean, I, I agree with Clara that, you know, that I, I think the characters are, for the most part, I think the characters are good characters. I think they're a, a really nice crew and, 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 and I do, and I, and I can get behind them. I can feel for them. And I know a lot of people struggle to have that. And it's kind of where the chaos edition and the disappointment comes in because, the characters are, especially with the inclusion of a lot of deleted scenes and a lot of the marketing materials, the film breathes a bit better and the characters feel more developed. You, you know, you see more interactions, more conversations, more things going on, and the characters feel a lot more believable. And when you watch something and you you kind of realising what it could have been it's 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 really out of tape because the the chaos edition just works so well i mean the main one of the main problems is that you know and, and it's been said before i think you know jamie said it in 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 other recordings this movie blew its load and blew its load way too early it, it the xenomorph didn't need to be shown in the trailers a lot of the stuff in the trailers didn't need to be shown in the trailers, to be fair. And a lot of the marketing material, like, you know, like The Crossing and, like, Advent, uh, why wasn't this included in the movie? Uh, I also think that what happened to Shaw would have been a bit easier to take had a lot of this footage been included in the film as opposed to, you know, just thrown out there on YouTube for anybody before the release uh, there's just so many things that that work having watched uh, both versions and it, it it's it's just really disappointing to see what it could have been over what we got and i think the what we could have been i think the i mean support your studios go by go by the dvd go by the the digital download but for anyone out there that's not seen Alien Covenant, the Curse Edition. I strongly recommend you sort it out. It's it, it, it's a longer ride, about forty minutes longer, but it it just I mean it's not perfect. Like I said, it's not perfect, but it's it it still feels it feels much more organic. It feels much more like the intended uh, ride. It still does have its pacing issues. It still does have its you know kind of character issues but it, it just feels a lot more fleshed out and a lot deeper uh, and I'm just really sad that the cinema going public at the time you know didn't get a better version a version that you know that a really talented individual has, has managed to to put together himself and but yeah that said 
I still I still think it 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 does work as a movie, but yeah, it's it it is lacking uh, here, here and there, and it 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 just could have been so much better with you know a bit of extra thought, a bit of a, a longer running time. It 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 suffered. That actually speaks... I feel like sorry, are you go? <laughs> I was just gonna say that that speaks to the kind of filmmaker that Scott has become nowadays. You know, he he is very much playing the game and he knows how to play the game. And that that whole two hour thing, you know, that's 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 that mentality. That's him making his films two hours so he can get enough showings in for the studios to be happy and stuff yeah. like that. Um, that that is very much a, him playing the games, so he gets to make the films he wants to make. Thing. Uh, anyway, Clara, sorry. I was going to say um, a lot of the decisions that were made on Covenant were, in a way, his fault um, because pr- producers and studios have a lot to say these days, and uh, some people said that Scott pretty much got the vision that he wanted. It was entirely his. But behind the scenes, there was a lot of issues with the film. I would I would say probably nearly as much as it was with Alien 3. Um, and I think it just shows uh, for Covenant as a film that, that it is our Alien 3. It's the, it's the underappreciated one with... Um, CG composited over practical effects, which we sorely wanted. Um, we've got a confusing amount of characters, which people found nameless. Uh, and the only thing that was different is that there was the inclusion of androids. <laughs> and uh, I feel like for a lot of people, you know, that, that this is the sort of film that only finds its appreciators after the fact because of all of the sort of... Um, uh, issues uh, the film had because then it forces you to kind of look look into it and see where those problems lie and how they tried to get around them, how they tried to fix them and how rushed the they were. Like, they didn't even get to release the film on the date they initially wanted uh, and it got pushed further back and there were obviously reshoots because uh, the crossing was supposed to be the prologue. There's uh, a number of different things that were changed from the original story with the reveal that Carlos Suante said that there was a story where Shaw was still alive and helping the crew. Um, There was all of this stuff that was happening that we didn't really know about until later. And I think that has furthered my appreciation for what's come out because it's, it is an imperfect film because it garnered so much hate from me initially on the initial watch. Um, But it's a film that also has my love and appreciation because of how, how different it is from the other alien films and how much it dared to challenge our perceptions of what an alien film is, even though it was using all of the tropes, they use them differently. You know, there's lots of different uh, stories that kind of like draws inspiration from. So 
So what I've noticed it, is that the film contains a lot of things from the the roots of horror. So you're talking about the first science fiction horror novel, Frankenstein. So it's taking from that. It's taking from the island of Dr. Moreau. It's also taking from, you know, the Divine Comedy, where they're talking about um, going through hell, which is I- ideally the first um, horror novel. Uh, or all of this stuff, you know, all of this Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden stuff, temptation and creation and the temptation of knowledge, all of that is originating from the minds of humans for like centuries and centuries, thousands of years. And they've kind of all taken that inspiration and put it into the film. And even then, if you look at it on a filmmaker's level, you've got all of these different achievements that Ridley Scott has done when you're watching the film because he's he's put in all of these filmic tropes as well. So he's he's put in uh, different styles of shooting the scenes. I believe he tried to imitate Alfred Hitchcock's uh, shower scene um, in the same way. So I don't even know whether it's been shot the same way, but there's a special um, a special way of doing it. And it, it was world famous. And like a lot of the scenes of the engineers being destroyed and running for cover, that scene has been troped a thousand times. And it also has some sort of uh, filmic or film scholar quality. So all of these things that have been happening, even the space scenes are like likened to that of like 2001 Space Odyssey. Just all of this stuff, I I really think is amazing that it could even be in an alien film and so much of it can be in an alien film. And I think the film is so much better for it. Yeah, I think um, it's, a very, it's a very deep experience. I mean, uh, Patrick was saying before, and 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 yourself just then. It, it it's it's very deep and it's very meaningful, and there's a hell of a lot there. But I think certainly with with me, I, I don't know if 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 this were the case with yourself, but and it also kind of alludes to what Patrick was saying about how you interpret the film. When I first watched Covenant. I I was too busy concentrating on other bits of the film that I skipped over a lot of the the deeper stuff, uh, a lot of the the hidden stuff, a lot of the you know the stuff that Prometheus were building up, you know the the grand questions and the philosophies, and I glossed over it, totally glossed over it. And I came out of the cinema and, you know, like I said at the beginning of this recording, I, I was feeling a bit shortchanged and I were feeling a bit angry about it. And then over subsequent viewings, uh, I found this, you know, I've got this newfound appreciation and, the, and and this love of the film because of all that really interesting, deep stuff that I just missed. And I think it's quite possible that a lot of people including myself you know i've watched this film first viewing and you know it's not that they've not got it it's that they missed it i missed it i really did i was i was too busy watching other things and i was too busy processing backbursters and throatbursters to to appreciate what it would try to say 
and I, I do think it is a, a and and you know Jamie you, you you've got to watch it again soon it, it I, I really do believe it is a, a film that speaks to you the more you watch it yeah I mean that might be true I mean I, I think that we we all watch films in a very different way. I'm really big on character. Character has to engage me first before I can engage in um, ideas. If the characters aren't working, the ideas aren't going to work for me. However, that being said, we've been going on for about an hour and a half, so we do need to wrap. Uh, sorry to cut it short if we need to. Thank you, everybody, for um, for coming on. Um, Patrick, I don't know if you wanted to say anything else. Well, I, I just wanted to say uh, what a wonderful conversation this has been and how tonally different I think it is from um, previous, you know, two years ago, this conversation would have been really different. Like we were all here two years ago. We remember how in the wake of such a contentious and, um, and strange movie, we were fighting all the fucking time and it was really stressful. And I think, you know, here we've been talking for almost two hours and there's been no, you know, back slapping. There's been no back slapping. There's been no, front slapping. I don't know. Nobody's slapping anybody. Everybody <laughs> seems to be listening to each other. And and I really like that. And I think it speaks to where fandom is right now, because as we saw in Building Better Worlds, we're not going to have time to get into it right now. But, um, you know, if, if anybody hasn't participated yet, Connor started this wonderful thread looking for feedback. And and Connor, you um, wisely, you know, specified at the top, you're like, please, let's keep it civil. And I have to say, it's like the most civil thing I've read, even though there's like 120 comments on it. It's like, People are just being honest about it. And I have to, and I just want to, my final thought personally is that in the two years, having watched it now many times, including the 4K release of it, which I just finally got now that we have a, a television for it, um, I see the, air, the the issues with it that people have caught out, have called out so much. Um, I see them more clearly now than I, I had been, you know? Uh, I, I appreciate more the problems that people have with it. And I think that those problems are valid and I totally get it, but I do love the film more now than I actually ever have before. And so for whatever reason, it works better for me the older I get and the more time I have with it. And I hope that that's the case with uh, more people in fandom, because I think ultimately, at least for me personally, I would rather find a way to enjoy something than, than to just sort of be stultified by my and you know unending hatred of it. Not to say anybody hates it, but that's that's what I'm getting at. Thank you guys very much. Completely agree there, Patrick. Thank you, thank you, Aaron, for uh, coming on uh, in, in a very impromptu manner. We'll give you more warning next time. <laughs> Much appreciated. And thank you, Clara, for coming on. Uh, glad you were able to join us at the end. Glad you talk so much. You don't talk very often, so it's great to hear you talk as much as you did. So thank you. Uh, I love listening to all your voices, so I'd rather listen to someone else's than my own. <laughs> <laughs> I can listen to me all day. <laughs> But thank you for having me on. It's it's been really great to be able to be part of this roundtable, even though I'm I'm feeling the regrets of invoking the spirits of Vickers last night. And uh, <laughs> Clara's drunk. Everybody, she's drunk. <laughs> she's hungover. <laughs> she's slurring her speech. She's not at a mic on mute. Once she's in a rowboat tonight, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and um. And like, yeah, just really, I hope the fans feel free to come up to us and tell us what worked for them and what didn't, but why they loved it, you know, 
what the characters are like to them because like it's not only about our experiences about other people's experiences too and and sharing them i really appreciate that so thank you to everyone who's reached out to me and talked about covenant do it more thank, thank you, you guys Shana and con Shauna and Con. Connor and Sean. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> this is what Con? happens when you... <laughs> Vickers is present. Oh, God. But no, thank you, Connor and Sean, for Spoon coming the big Really appreciate <laughs> Bye, guys. All right. Have a See good day, everybody. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, you mighty and despair. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.